DK Metcalf officially has got the bag. I'm going to be breaking down the lucrative extension that Metcalf agreed to with the Seahawks today. A record-breaking contract on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks were back at the VMAC for their second training camp practice today. I'll be sharing some thoughts from today's practice on offense and defense. Again, not a practice that's full padded yet, not even partially padded. So limited observations, but plenty of interesting tidbits from today's session in Renton. And I'm going to be tackling your guys' questions. And we're going to do it a little bit differently than usual here on Locked on Seahawks. These are going to be live stream questions on YouTube. If you have a question you'd like for me to answer, just submit that question in the comment section. I'm going to be getting to that in the second portion of today's Friday episode. And of course, we've got a big contract to talk about. So let's get to our lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. After months and weeks of negotiations, the Seahawks and DK Metcalf have agreed to terms on a three-year, $72 million contract. This will make Metcalf one of the 10 highest paid receivers in the NFL. All along, that's been the expectation that this was going to be a contract that was going to put him among the NFL's highest paid, the elite at the position. He certainly earned that when you look at what he has done in his first three seasons in the NFL, over 3,100 receiving yards, over 200 receptions. He broke Steve Largent's single-season record for receiving yards in 2020. Last year had 12 touchdowns, even playing with a foot injury that required surgery after the season at 6'4", around 230 pounds with track speed, just a freak athlete, and he's only 24 years old. Look at the contract details here for DK Metcalf and the Seahawks. Again, it's a three-year, $72 million contract, $58.2 million in guaranteed money, a $30 million signing bonus, and that is a new record, 12s. That is the most money that has ever been handed to a receiver as a signing bonus on a contract. $24 million per year in new money. That is going to put him sixth among receivers in the NFL. It's actually going to slot in between two other players that received extensions earlier this offseason. Terry McLaurin of the Washington Commanders behind him a little under $24 million per year. And then former Ole Miss teammate A.J. Brown coming in at $25 million, his new contract with the Eagles, four years, $100 million. And this is ultimately going to equate to a four-year contract worth $76.22 million when you consider this extension is tacked on after the final year of his rookie deal. So he's going to make a little over $4 million in 2022, and then his extension will kick in. And this is going to allow him to become a free agent after the 2025 season when he is 28 years old. As you would expect, this is one of those contracts when you sit down and you look at the details – Maybe it's cliche for me to say this. Everybody would like to pick a side. Who won this deal? Is it the player? Is it the team? But in this case, everyone truly wins because the Seahawks don't have to pay DK Metcalf top five money. He's not going to be making $27, $28 million per year. 24 is still a lot. He's still one of the highest paid receivers out there. Only a handful of receivers make that kind of money. 
So the Seahawks still paid him what he was worth. He got market value, but they didn't necessarily have to break the bank quite as much as I anticipated they would have to, to make this contract work. So at 24 million, that's a reasonable deal. They were able to keep the structure the way that they typically like to structure contracts where not all the year two money is fully guaranteed. That will kick in in the spring. And so the Seahawks were able to do this contract the way that they wanted to do it. And John Schneider, front office, Matt Thomas, their cap guru, they excel at this, being able to work out these negotiations. And then a couple days before training camp or a couple days into training camp, they find ways to hammer out these deals, negotiate them under the terms that they want, while also getting the player the money that they want. So ultimately, this worked out for the Seahawks. Then from Metcalf's perspective, again, I mentioned this a moment ago, Maybe the best part for him, the salary cap is going to continue to grow by a significant margin for the next several years because of the league's new TV broadcast deal. So the salary cap inflating, receivers are going to be making upward of $30 million per year. There's going to be several of them that are going to be making that kind of money two or three years from now. And Metcalf only being 24 right now, he is still not in his prime. There's a lot of room for him to grow as a player. And at 28, a lot of receivers in the NFL, that might be the first opportunity that they have to get a lucrative extension. But since Metcalf was 21 when he came in the league, and again, he's only 24, he is setting himself up to have another monster contract at 28 years of age in the prime of his career by doing a three-year extension instead of a four-year extension. So again, this ends up working out for both sides. The Seahawks are able to keep their rising superstar, the 24-year-old Metcalf. They're going to have him happy in Seattle. He's going to be making top 10 receiver money. He's getting $30 million up front on the biggest signing bonus ever handed out to a receiver. The Seahawks keep the rest of the contract structure the way that they prefer in terms of fully guaranteed money in the later years on the contract. Metcalf gets the flexibility to become a free agent a little bit quicker than some of his peers that signed four-year contracts that are in the top 10 receivers for pay. So it really works out for both sides. Now, all the questions are going to focus to on the field. DK Metcalf, according to Pete Carroll, cleared his physical. So he should be ready to at least participate as a part-time participant when they return to the practice field on Saturday. And fans will get a chance to see how he looks with Drew Locke. Geno Smith, these two hit it off last year in the three games that Smith started. He threw four touchdown passes to DK Metcalf in limited action. But he's going to have a chance to continue expanding on that chemistry. So all the questions now are going to be about on the field. How does DK Metcalf continue his production the way it was with Russell Wilson with the drop-off in quarterbacks going to Drew Locke as well as Geno Smith, whoever wins that job? He's going to be their number one target most of the time. Tyler Lockett, obviously an outstanding receiver, but Metcalf being the younger player with the contract that was just handed to him, expectations are going to remain very high. And so that's going to be the big question mark now. Where does this offense go in the passing game? They've got these outstanding receivers. Are they going to have the quarterbacks to be able to get the job done? Nonetheless, we don't have to worry anymore about talking about this extension. John Schneider, he's done so many times gets this deal hammered out. DK Metcalf now a Seahawk through 2025. That's what he said all along he wanted to be. And he gets to step into that leadership role that he has been craving. And he's been talking about it all offseason. He knows the torch is there with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner being out of town. So now he can be a leader by his example on the field, maybe a bit more vocal than what he was in his first two years when he didn't need to be. 
He's got that opportunity. Now he's going to be paid accordingly where the expectation is going to be. Hey, DK, this is your team now. It's your time to be the leader. So there's going to be a lot of eyes on him now with the paycheck that he got. But he certainly earned that. Now he's got to push it to the next level. See if he can get back to being an all-pro receiver, even with the quarterback situation not necessarily being ideal for the Seahawks. The expectations are going to be sky high when you hand down a top 10 contract like this. So looking forward to seeing how he looks in the field, how healthy he looks, and how that connection with Lockett Smith develops here in coming weeks leading up to the 2022 season. Up next, I'm going to get to your guys' mailbag questions. And again, we're going to be doing this live. So if you're listening on YouTube, just submit a question in the chat and I'm going to be going through those. And I'll start answering some questions in our second quarter when we return. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check into all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, and combat sports. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports and wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They've got everything covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today, bet online where the game starts. <laughs> You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Going to be shifting gears to our weekly mailbag. And again, going to do this a little different than usual. Didn't have an opportunity today, as I usually do on social media, to ask for questions with us now being in the middle of a busy training camp. So I'm going to be looking at your questions live here. And we've got our first one coming from David Moore. So at what point do you cut bait on Jamal Adams? How do we plan to cover safety? Is Ryan Neal enough? Now that's an interesting question. I'm going to have a chance to dig more into the Jamal Adams content tomorrow on our bonus Friday episode with my co-host Nick Lee. But certainly the comments coming from Pete Carroll today were not encouraging. And it was not something that I think any of the reporters were expecting. And we all had to do a double take. Where's number 33? Everybody was so excited to see Adams on the field the first practice. And he wasn't out there today. So that was odd on its own. And then getting the bombshell that he is getting second opinions on his surgically repaired fingers that is never what you want to hear about a player that is a $70 million safety that you have such high expectations for, and he gets through one practice and he's having issues. But as far as your question, David, I don't think that it's time to be cutting bait. And even if they wanted to do that, the dead cap hit, if they decided to do that, is through the roof. So I don't see any way that the Seahawks are in a position where they could do that, even if that's what they wanted to. And we don't know. This could be something that Jamal Adams is back next week. It could be something where he misses most of training camp, maybe not even ready for the start of the regular season. Worst case scenario, if he has to have surgery again, which Pete Carroll didn't really delve into after practice. But if that ends up becoming a possibility, then he may be out for an extended period of time. We just don't know enough right now. Ryan Neal and Marquise Blair give the Seahawks pretty good depth if Jamal Adams has to miss a few games. But if he's out more than that, it's a huge loss for the Seahawks. And so we're going to know more as we get into next week. Even Saturday's practice, we might have a better idea where things stand on that front. Maybe Adams will be back by that point. But probably going to be next week at the earliest till we see Jamal Adams back on the field. For now, the Seahawks just have to wait and see where things are trending in that direction. It might not be serious. It might be. We just don't know enough right now. Question here from Divine Comedy. 
Also been hearing such great things about Kobe Bryant. Do we really have another fourth round gem? Maybe a week one starter. So I've been saying this for a while, going back to really when the Seahawks drafted Kobe Bryant. I think he's got a prime opportunity to win a starting job. And I've been impressed by what I've seen in OTAs and minicamp and these first two days of training camp. And again, beginning of training camp, non-padded, no contact. So it's very difficult to evaluate these players. But I do think receivers and corners on the outside, you can at least see the movement skills and you can see the athleticism. You can see the ability to play instinctive football from the corner position. You can see the ball skills. Kobe Bryant has shown all of that. Now, what's it going to look like in padded practices? That's really the thing for all of these rookies. But he's just got so many things going for him. He is a savvy, experienced player. A lot of times when you have corners coming to the league, NFL players in general coming into the league, they are behind the eight ball when they first get started because it's such a big jump. But he doesn't look like... As a fourth-round pick, this jump is too big for him. And when you consider some of the teams he played well against, Georgia, Alabama, he had an interception in the end zone against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl two years ago. He never has backed down from the big stage. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Kobe Bryant has an opportunity to be a starter in week one against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. I think that he is right in the thick of things. He's been making plays in the football consistently. Even these first two days, he's had his hands in the football a couple of times. And so he's making a really strong first impression. We'll have a better idea where he fits into this competition once we get into the padded practices and, of course, the preseason games. But this guy is playing a lot of football. He's a savvy player, great ball skills, outstanding instincts. Athleticism even has looked pretty good, recovering on a number of plays so far. So he's got the tools to be a starter for the Seahawks. Certainly could be another fourth-round steal. Jamal Adams, speaking of the devil, a few weeks back in minicamp even mentioned that he thinks he could be a steal certainly has the intangibles to be an impact player right away for the Seahawks at corner. Next question from Leaf Leafson. How have the quarterbacks looked? Would Jimmy Garoppolo be a smart option? So I'm going to dig more into the quarterbacks in the next quarter because I do have some thoughts from today's practice yesterday. If you listen to our podcast, didn't necessarily have glowing reviews on either quarterback. And we have to remember the first training camp practice, especially after you've had six weeks of off time. And not that these guys were not doing anything. They've been training. But six weeks away from the field with your teammates, typically defense starts out ahead of offense, especially when you've got a newcomer, a quarterback like Drew Locke. Geno Smith's been in this system. But, I mean, it's typically a slower start for QBs. But I thought both quarterbacks were off accuracy-wise yesterday. There were some poor decisions made, particularly by Drew Locke. And as I'll get to later, today was a step forward. There's a long way to go. As for Garoppolo, if he gets released by the 49ers, I think the Seahawks will absolutely have interest. And it's looking more and more like that's what the 49ers are probably going to have to do if they want to move on from him. Because teams just aren't going to trade for that contract, especially with him coming off of shoulder surgery. They're not going to do that. But if he gets cut and he's able to pass a physical, then I absolutely think the Seahawks would at least consider seriously making a move there I don't know necessarily he would be much better but maybe slightly better than what the Seahawks have right now until he gets cut by the 49ers though really difficult to envision the Seahawks making a move there they're going to stick with what they've got right now with Geno Smith and Drew Locke competing at that position and hope that as training camp goes on that the two of them perform better Gemini Brett, if Rashad Penny stays healthy what percentage of running back touches will Ken Walker the third see 
I, right now, I would say I'm thinking probably a 60-40 split between those two. Rashad Penny looks so good. And I talked about this on yesterday's show. At 237 pounds, he looks lean. He's explosive. He just looks like a man among boys out there with the other running backs. Ken Walker the third, you can see the explosiveness. But Rashad Penny looks like he's just as explosive. And he's got 25 pounds on Ken Walker the third and the way that he ran at the end of the season last year, Seattle is going to move forward with him as the bell cow. So I anticipate that this is going to be a 60 40 arrangement. They're going to want Ken Walker the third to get his opportunities. And I think he's going to have a chance to make an impact on offense. His team's going to be running the ball a lot, but I think that it's a 60 40 split as long as you keep Rashad Penny healthy. And maybe by the end of the year, it's more of a by committee thing between the two of them. But I think the Seahawks want to see if Rashad Penny can stay healthy and he can be that feature back because if he's able to do that with how he played the end of last year, the sky is the limit for this kid. He's always had the talent. It's just been availability and staying on the field. They're hoping that strong finish last year can set up for him to do really well this year. So I'd say 60-40 on that one. Mo Money, what position are we looking at to add in free agency? I don't know right now that the Seahawks are overly going to be aggressive in free agency. I think the time to look for on the calendar is when all the teams are trimming their rosters down to 53 players. And we saw it last year that they went out and got Dakota Shepley. They made a few trades towards the end of training camp in the preseason as well. Sidney Jones being one of the players they brought in. They're always looking for players that aren't quite good enough to make other rosters that may be able to help their team. And so that's when I would expect the Seahawks to be aggressive. They do now have a roster spot open because K.J. Wright's one-day contract has expired. So they do have room to add a player. Maybe they bring in another linebacker with Ben Burkirvan being waived uh, with a uh, failed physical designation. He has now reverted to injured reserve after not being claimed off waivers. So he's done for the season. Maybe get another player at that position. They could add another corner, maybe another running back or receiver. Uh, with Chris Carson's situation, but I would expect it is going to be a camp body and they're not going to be bringing in a veteran that's going to be competing for snaps, especially now that Carlos Dunlap is signed with the Kansas City Chiefs. That was one option that was still there, now no longer on the table. So I would not expect to see the Seahawks or be overly aggressive in free agency right now, other than adding that extra player on the roster to help as a training camp body. Saijin, I think Drew Locke will surprise everyone. What say you? From what I've seen so far, again, it's just two practices. Really can't make judgments on the two quarterbacks. You can see the arm talent, and that's never been deniable with Drew Locke. He has the tools to be a really good quarterback, and he's made a few nice throws. And I'll talk a little bit more in the third quarter about some of the ones I saw today that were encouraging. But the consistency aspect and the decision-making, those to me are the two areas that are really holding Drew Locke back. And if you can get him comfortable in this offense and he is able to cut down on some of those bad decisions, cut down on the interceptions, and he's able to play with more consistency, and especially in the accuracy and anticipation uh, window, then he's maybe got a fighting chance here to surprise. But it's very early in camp. He's still a little bit behind Geno Smith in terms of understanding the offense. So he's playing catch-up mode. It's still a very tight race. We'll see in a few weeks where this stands between the two of them. Again, I'll dive more later in the show and some things that I observed today on the practice field, but it's very early. They're not going to be naming a quarterback anytime soon, and, and both these guys have a long way to go before they secure that starting job under center for the Seahawks. Divine Comedy, impressions of the pass rush, if any, thus far. Well, it's, again, 
since we've only seen two training camp practices, the offensive linemen can't really block. The defensive linemen aren't working against offensive linemen that can really block. It's tough to evaluate. So really you're looking at physical traits and burst and how they look hitting sleds and maybe, you know, getting upfield in scrimmages. But again, the blocking is not there. So it's very difficult. But I will say this, Boye Mafe looks the part. And I've been saying that since OTA's minicamp. You can see the burst, the ability to pin his ears back, get upfield, the natural athleticism and bounce that he plays with. So he is one when the pads come on that I'm very curious to see where he fits in. And Uchenna Nuosu also looks really good. Daryl Taylor, not surprised. Daryl Taylor, the way that he's flying around the field, he looks much more comfortable. And he looks like he's maybe added 5 to 10 pounds of muscle back onto his frame. I thought he was a little light going into last season coming off of that lost rookie year. So there's a lot of reasons to be encouraged. They've got some guys in the interior that I think are going to be able to do some damage, collapsing pockets as well. But until we see these guys playing against actual blocking, actual offensive linemen that are able to play with physicality, it's very difficult to be able to evaluate that group. So unlike corners and receivers where it feels like you can kind of get a sense who's standing out, a lot tougher to do that with players that are in the trenches. Coming up here in a moment, I'm going to be diving into today's training camp practice, some observations, and just going to throw this out here first. Again, this conversation, it all stems around what you can see and what you can't see in the first week or so of training camp. Things have changed. Teams used to come in and it was put the helmets on, get the pads on, and let's start popping each other. But the NFL, out of safety, they've altered things. And it seems like it gets a little bit more extended every year. And now they've got this lengthy phase-in process where basically it's OTAs and minicamps for the first week and a half. And then they start weaning into getting pads on and you start seeing more real football on the practice field. So again, I want to throw that disclaimer out before we start talking any observations from these practices because it again is not real football. There are things that you can gauge and there's a lot of things that happen on Sundays that are not happening right now. With that being said, let's talk quarterbacks because I know many of you, I read the comments and many of you yesterday were talking about, well, it was just one day. And why are we trying to base how the quarterbacks played yesterday, you know, on where things might stand in the quarterback competition that's going to happen every single day when you've got two guys battling for the spot. And it really doesn't feel like either one's got a significant lead. So this is going to be monitored every single day. And so I'm going to tell you what I saw today. It was much more encouraging than what it was in the first practice. Yesterday, you had quarterbacks bounce the ball off the ground. Geno Smith had a rough pass thrown behind Marquise Goodwin, got popped up in the air, intercepted by Sidney Jones. Drew Locke underthrew a few passes downfield, had some very questionable decisions that he made. Last throw, throwing across his body, rolling out to his left. Not a throw that you want to see him make, even on the practice field. It just wasn't necessary. And he put his receiver in a bad spot where the running back, DJ Dallas, coming back, got his legs caught under him. Could have got hurt on that play. Luckily, crisis evaded, and DJ Dallas is out there today. Looks just fine. But today... Saw much different quarterbacking. Early on, it looked like it was going to be a repeat. Geno Smith threw a five-yard pass into the ground. Drew Locke threw behind a couple of receivers. And then from there, both of them got into a rhythm. And Geno Smith got most of the first-team reps again. But Drew Locke got more today than what he did in the first practice. And you could see some decent throws from him in those sessions. As far as Geno Smith goes, a couple throws that jumped out. 
And this is going to excite all the 12s out there with Noah Fant coming over in the trade for Russell Wilson. Had a 20-yard catch on a dig route and looked really natural in space catching the football. It was nice to see some chemistry between him and Geno Smith. And then a couple plays later, Kevin Cassis, who was signed from Montana, actually has not played football for a couple years after playing at Montana, had a big play, busted coverage, looked like he was Ryan Neal that was supposed to be over there. And you see him hitting his helmet like I was supposed to be there. And Geno Smith dumped it off and Cassis raced down the sideline for 30 yards. He ended up connecting on five or six passes in a row. That was the best that he's looked during these two days. And then Drew Locke, I think that he could sense, hey, Geno's getting in the rhythm. It's my turn. And this might have been what I was most encouraged by in the passing game today. Drew Locke and the connection that he seems to be building with seventh-round pick Derek Young out of Lenore Ryan. And Young's got all the physical tools, but coming from a Division II school, Nobody knew what to expect, especially when he missed a good chunk of OTAs and mini camps with a hamstring injury. But he caught four passes today from Drew Locke, and a couple of them were dig routes. He had one that he ran a really nice pivot route on, and Locke was looking for him, throwing passes with great anticipation. And so the two of them seemed like they were on the same page. So that might be an interesting thing to watch because this is a pretty wide-open receiver group after DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, especially with D. Eskridge not being healthy again. There's some opportunities there for players like Tariq Young to impress the coaching staff and boost their stock. So I thought that he had a pretty good day, and you could see Drew Locke getting in a little bit of rhythm. He did have a couple throws downfield that, again, just didn't get enough air under. So hopefully both these guys are going to start connecting on some of those downfield throws. So far, that has certainly been an issue for both of them. Now, up on the offensive line, I think a lot of fans are really excited about this draft class for the Seahawks, and they should be. But aside from Charles Cross at left tackle, pretty much all the other draft picks, they're starting where most rookies start, second or third team action, and that's including Abraham Lucas on the right side. It looks like, at least for this first week, that the Seahawks are going to give incumbent Jake Curhan the first opportunity to try to secure this right tackle job. And then Abraham Lucas, he will get his opportunity at some point but right now they're giving Curhan those opportunities. He's playing with the first team at right tackle, and they've had their two veteran guards, Amy Lewis and Gabe Jackson. Phil Haynes has been rotating with both of them. And so generally they've been sticking with the veterans rather than the rookies in most of these positions. And that's typically how it goes. Charles Cross is coming in day one. You're the left tackle, top 10 pick. That's not abnormal. But Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, they're playing with the second team at corner. They might get some first team opportunities with the way that they're playing right now, but they're second teamers. And then you've got your two receivers. They're getting their reps mostly with the second and third offense, Bo Melton and Derek Young. Tyreek Smith is not off the pup list yet. Uh, Boy Mafe has been playing with the second team for the most part. So the rookies are going to have to work their way up the depth chart, particularly on the offensive line. And I believe that that race at right tackle with Curhan and Abraham Lucas is one that is going to play out throughout training camp in the preseason. And Lucas is going to get his opportunities, but he's going to have to play well because Curhan is not going to just give away that starting job. And he's a young player in his own right. He played well in the five starts that he had last season. So that's something to monitor closely. But right now, the incumbent getting the first crack at the starting job. And you know the other player, Abraham Lucas, will at some point. Two. On the defensive side of the football, you can't tackle this time of year, but Al Woods had one of the greatest plays that I've ever seen in an OTA practice today. And he's 35, doesn't look the part, though. 
that year he took off in 2020 as a COVID opt-out. He continues to be fresh, and he's just playing at a very high level. And he knifed through the interior offensive line for the Seahawks during their scrimmage. Again, he can't get blocked. There's no physicality in the trenches, but just the quick first step and his ability at 330-plus pounds to split the gap. He ate Ken Walker the third for a late lunch in the backfield. I think he got in five yards in the backfield and he could just kind of, you could sense from the players around him just how much excitement there was. You don't see that a lot in these non-padded practices, but Al Woods continuing to be a monster in the middle, looking like a really smart signing for the Seahawks, bringing him back. And so he's going to be anchoring this defense going to a three, four at the nose tackle position. A lot to be excited about with the way he's playing. And quite frankly, in the first practice, got a chance to see Brian Monet split gaps and do that as well. So we'll see where they stand when the offensive line is actually able to block them. But Al Woods off to another really good start. It looks like he has not lost a step, literally and figuratively. He is playing well, playing at a high level. And so for now, that two-year contract they gave him looking pretty smart to keep him in the trenches. And last but not least, I mentioned the rookie corners and I want to outline one player in particular because I've talked so much about Kobe Bryant on the show. And Bryant's done a lot of great things. The coaching staff is gushing about him, his experience, his ball skills, his understanding of coverages. He's got pretty much everything working for him right now to be able to push for a spot. But Tariq Woolen was coming into the NFL. The narrative was this kid is a freak athlete, but he's raw. He doesn't have the football understanding, doesn't have the technique, and maybe that's still very much going to be the case. But even going back to OTAs and their mandatory minicamp, it looks to me like Tariq Woolen might be ahead of the expected ETA for being able to play some snaps on defense. This is a very competitive quarterback group. You've got Artie Burns. Trey Brown is going to be back here in the near future. Bryant, Sidney Jones. So it's going to be tough for these rookies to get in the lineup, particularly Woolen with him being a project. I'm not saying that he's not a project. I still think there's a lot of work for him to improve development-wise. But every single practice, he's coming up with one or two jaw-dropping plays. And today, anytime you can go against a guy like Marquise Goodwin, who even at his age, now in his early 30s, is still a burner and probably can run his 40 in the low 4-3s, was a 4-2-7 guy when he came out of Texas, was an Olympic qualifier. And quite frankly, Tariq Woolen has not been phased going against him. You can see his sub-4-3 speed and his ability to defend downfield. And today, Marquise Goodwin had a couple steps on him on a deep ball. And it looked like the throw was going to be right in the breadbasket. And here comes Tariq Woolen. He recovers, gets his long 33-plus-inch arms out, swats the pass away downfield, drawing the applause of teammates and coaches. He did that a few times during their OTAs and minicamp going against Goodwin, who again is one of the fastest receivers in the NFL. So there's a lot to be encouraged about when you see what Tariq Woolen is doing out of the field. He doesn't look intimidated. It looks like he's fitting in with the defense. We'll see where things stand when the pads come on. He's going to have to show he can come up and tackle people. That was inconsistent for him in college. And the short routes and the ability to swivel his hips, and be able to play with faster, quicker receivers. There's some questions we don't have answers to yet at this point, but there's been a lot to be encouraged about with Tariq Woolen as well as Kobe Bryant. Both these rookies have been impressive so far. The veterans are speaking highly of them, and they've really hit the ground running. So if you're looking for some rookies to be really excited about in this class that may have a chance to play, I would include 
Tariq Woolen in that category. I think Kobe Bryant's ahead of him right now. But Woolen, again, I'm starting to wonder, maybe, just maybe, that this kid is a little bit further along than many thought he would be coming out of UTSA. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We're going to have a bonus Friday episode coming up tomorrow. I'll be joined by my co-host, Nick Lee. Going to play a little bit of stock watch after the first couple of days of training camp. And as promised, going to be talking plenty about the Jamal Adams situation. Maybe some more information will come to light before the episode. Certainly a concerning situation for the Seahawks, star safety, and their defense in general. We'll be talking those topics and much more. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.